The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Genesis 27. Um, I'm a big fan of bringing your Bibles. Uh, I will encourage you to do that. That's not a rebuke. It, at least let me see the glow of your phone on your face. The, you know, if, if you don't have your Bible, may I at least see the glow of your phone. Because if you came to hear me uh, excite you about Father's Day or about Christ in the church, um, you're going to be sorely, um, you know, discouraged. Uh, I have a sign on my preaching Bible, and uh, my wife got me this because we saw it at the Cove one time when I was up there not speaking, just being there, and it says this, and it was a quote by Billy Graham, and so she made it and had it put on my Bible. People do not care do not care to hear what I have to say. They want to know what God has to say. And I hope that's the, the way you think, you know. Uh, it's easy to get here. Father's Day is always a day I like to, to uh, preach on, and so... Um, uh, don't, don't if you're a lady here this morning and say, oh, gracious, I, I should have slept in later or gone to breakfast. Don't worry about it. No, there'll be something in here for you, and you can encourage your husband, or you can think back through the dads that you've had. Now, when what we realized is when we became dads, um, that was very little training. When I, you know, when we had, Debbie and I had three children, and never did the hospital give us a manual. We thought, sure, the hospital is going to give us a manual and say, this is what you need to do with girls, and this is what you need to be, do with boys, and this is where you, 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 you would expect them to be. Never did that happen. And so we were kind of left to our own to, to this new venture of trying to raise children. And I like what Paul David Tripp says. He says that puts sinners trying to raise small sinners in a fallen world. And so you've got, you've got a big problem. You've got sinners, even way, yes, me, trying to raise little sinners in a fallen world. And Paul David Tripp reminds us in some of his work, he says, you are going to need the principles in the hand of God. And I have searched this because if it was one thing I did not want to do, and I did not want to fail at being a father. I had met so many people who had literally failed at being a father, and when I had talked to them, they either talked about their relationship with their fathers, which was nothing, and let's stop for just a second and think about our dads. Maybe even today your heart's a little weepy. You know, did you know that most of those dads had nothing? They didn't even have Dr. Dobson. You know, Dr. Dobson didn't come on the scene until the late 70s. And so before then, they were just shooting from the hip. And so my dad loved me greatly, but he didn't do anything of the things that I'm fixing to talk to you about. And so later on, we talked about that. And I realized, you know, he had nothing to go on. He had no training. He had zilch. And so as I started to really get into this in my 40s, um, I went into the New Testament and found there were only two scriptures written to all of scripture in, in, in the New Testament, and both of those were written to men, and they were both geared toward men learning how to control your anger. And we're going to come back to that in 
at the very end of where we're going today. You said two hours, right? Okay, all right. I always say that just to freak people out. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll easily have you out of here in an hour and a half. So uh, anyway, 45 minutes best. Here we go. And so as I studied there, and I began to search the Scriptures for principles, and here's what I found, and this was amazing, that uh, King Saul, horrible father, David, a great king, loved the Lord, horrible father. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, they say, but he had 750 wives, so I'm not really too sure about that. Lousy father. Samuel, the first prophet or the first judge, the people came to him and basically said, would you appoint us a king, but we don't want one like your boys. Could you appoint us another king? And so there seemed to be a stumbling of basically, you know, creating the only thing I had experienced. And so... This passage here represents a lot to me because I believe in something that a guy taught me, but I wanted to see it backed up in Scripture, and so I found it here in Genesis 27. And for just for the best term, I'm going to give you three things this morning. Pastors always have three points. You know, the first one is blessing. And so I'm going to talk to you just about seven or eight minutes about blessing, and then we're going to go and shift gears and go over to Hebrews or Hebrew, in the book of Deuteronomy, and teach you Shema. Some of you don't know what that means. But anyway, Shema means, hear, O Lord. And the Lord is speaking to his people. This is what I want you to do for your children. So we're going to see some of that this morning, and just kind of make us a, a subject there. Now, if you're not married there yet, you will be one day. And if you're not a father yet, you probably will be one day. So hang with me and put these things down. And uh, what I found was a word named blessing. Now, let me tell you what happens in a Jewish family today. A Jewish family on the Sabbath, the father on the Sabbath evening brings the children to himself, and they sit on the floor in beanbag chairs or sofas or park benches, and each child comes to him, and he puts them in his arms, and he gives them what he calls the blessing. And so the word blessing is a very, very deep concept in Jewish culture. And it involves three things. I want you to see those this morning. It involves touching. So dads, come on now. We're going to shake some of this stuff off that says touching. But I raised girls. Yeah. And they need your touch. It involved words of affirmation. What do you really think of your children? Not, not after he hits a home run or after she wins a beauty pageant. Because, let me tell you, I am convinced that most of our kids are trying to answer two questions. Who am I and does it matter? Who am I and does it matter? And right now, if you have children under the age of 12, you have an open door. Listen to me. Uh, Debbie said, don't tell everybody you're an old man because I get tired of hearing you say that. But I am. I'm 69. And, and here, here's what I've learned. That door for you men and you mamas is going to be open till about the age of 12 or 13. 
And at about the age of 12 or 13, your kids who thought you were the greatest thing in the world, they'd come to you. All of a sudden, if you don't believe me, take them to the mall. And at about the age of 12 or 13, you're, you're saying, hey, come on, let's hold hands and walk down the mall like we used to. Do you know what those kids are going to say? Well, I'm meeting Billy Bob over here, so I'll catch you in a minute. And that's not because they dislike us, but that window starts to close, dads. It starts to close, and so you've got to take real good advantage in it so that as that window closes, you have invested well early. How many dads have I talked to that said, well, when I, when I make enough money and I can stay home more and I can do this, then I'm going to invest well then. And I'm telling you, it's never going to happen. The window will be shut. Now, let me read you this passage one more time. Isaac, the second of the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac is the second in line. He is dying, and he is fixing to bless the next heir of Israel. Now, the, the passage is kind of uh, um, deceitful because uh, the mother there, Rebecca, comes to the son that she likes the most, and she says, let's fake the old man out. Esau is who he was going to give the blessing to because Esau was the oldest. The blessing involved uh, words, touches, but it also gave him two slices of the pie. In other words, of inheritance. The oldest boy always got two slices. That's why in the prodigal son, the older son's having a cow when that young son comes home. And so we find here that Jacob now has dressed himself up like like Esau, and I, I want you to see something, and, and, and this is, I wish I hadn't have told you that, because now it makes the whole point of the blessing but seem irrelevant, but it's not, because I wanted you to see not the fact that he deceived, but I wanted you to see, but the Lord had it in his place that he would bless him. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Now, listen carefully. If you didn't receive the blessing here today, you know it. You'll have something in your heart that still says, where can I plug in that's going to light me up? And I've counseled so many couples who were in marriages where, and, uh, and I just have to say it, I, the dads are the one who give the blessing. And if you didn't receive that blessing, you're going to, have to be like a, you know, one of those garage lights that's got a plug-in and a bulb, and you're going to be going after everybody. Hey, would you be my friend and bless me and trying to plug in here? Or you're going to find a girl you're going to get married. Hey, honey, would you marry? No, you're not going to marry me. You're probably married to this guy. You married to this guy? Okay, good. Okay. Anyway, so you're going to plug into him and say, hey, would you light me up? You're not lighting me up. And it's all because of this thing called the blessing. And if you did receive that, that doesn't leave you lame for the rest of your life. What it does is it means that you're going to build this relationship. I love what my brother said a while ago where you're going to go before the Lord and said, Father, I feel so empty. My dad, my dad never did those things. He didn't know any better. He didn't do it on purpose. But would you give me these things? But inherently, the pattern was supposed to be that the father would put this blessing on the son. Now, read with me if you would, if you've got your Bible, if you hadn't, shame on you, but you can find one. Anyway, um, picking up in verse 19, uh, chapter 27, Jacob said to his father, 
I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of the game so that you may give me your blessing. There you go. And Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly? The Lord, your God, gave me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether or not you were really Esau or Jacob. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. All right, we're catching on here. Jacob... Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine and drank, and his father Isaac said to him, Come here and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him, and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. Isn't that cool? I'd ask you right now when you hug your daughters and sons, what do they smell like? Yeah, I know. Some of them smell like a field, don't they? They stink. Yeah. That's cool. You know, because see, this blessing, the part of the very first part of it is a verbal, is a physical touch. You know, psychiatrists today say that the average child needs seven to ten touches a day. A day. And so we need to do things, and I'm going to give you some practical stuff here in just a second. And, uh, and, and, uh, but, and so, but he, he gets to his son, and, and he, he hugs him, <coughs> and he knows his smell. You know. Ah, the smell of my son. And so he embraces him, and he touches him. And there's something about that value statement that I was talking to you a while ago that my dad hugs me. Ronald Reagan had a son uh, that when Ronald Reagan's Alzheimer's got to a a high limit, uh, he he didn't know anybody. And so someone asked him one time when he brought his son in, he said, do you know who this is, President? And he looked at him, and he said, no, I don't. But I do know that every time I see him, he hugs me. So there was something in there that takes place in this touch. But then the second thing and a blessing that, that we want to work at, men, is not only touching our kids, you know, but giving them a sense of value and affirmation. You know, uh, my, my girls were, are, are pretty girls. They, they got involved in young life and, and other ministries. And if I'm not careful, I can affirm them because you're, you're, you're in young life. Uh, uh, you're a nurse. Uh, you're attractive. Uh, you bore my granddaughter. You bore my grandson. You know, and those would be the things. And then my son, you know, was a physical specimen. And uh, he could... Um, you know, I wrote him this week. He, uh, we were dove hunting one day, and, <clears throat> and he was just a little fellow. And the guy, he was a very, very good shot. But uh, this man had this rack of plastic doves sitting in a field, and and uh, and Josh shot them all. You know, and so the guy, when he they didn't fly off, Josh came, got me, and said. I shot all these doves, but they didn't fly. And, I, and then I saw the guy coming through the field, and so I knew, you know. But 
I don't know why I threw that out, but anyway, um, <laughs> see if you're awake. But anyway, he, value. Reaffirming some value there takes place by the touch, but by your words. Now, guys, for, for, for the love of our Lord, let's not just let our girls know you are good looking. You know, that may be the kiss of death. Because guess what's going to happen? They're not always going to be good looking. And so if my value is dependent, and I love what Kenny Crosswhite, a friend of mine, gave me. He said, value equals performance plus opinion. V equals P plus O. And so often my value is dependent on your, my performance plus your opinion. And so what I'm encouraging you to do today is what he says here. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. May the Lord God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord of your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Two things in this value part, and we'll move on, is that as you speak those, you know, I am crazy about you as my child. If you don't ever play or do anything, somehow, guys, we want to be able to develop that those kids know that I am valuable to my dad. My dad thinks that I'm important, you know. And I don't have to do anything about that because, see, that's called grace. Yeah. One of my favorite singers we're going to go see in July, and uh, for some reason he and I connected, and, and uh his name is Michael Card, and he, 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 uh, he has a tattoo on his wrist, and the tattoo is called Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's, a, it's the Hebrew word for grace, and so I asked him, I said, Mike, because he challenged all of us guys to get, get it done, and I hadn't done it yet. I got to do it before July 22nd, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I was too chicken, but I asked him, I said, explain to me what this means. Here it is, guys. Boy, this is, this, is, this is where our kids want to be. When I stand in the presence of someone who owes me nothing and he gives me everything, that's grace. When I stand in the presence of someone who owes me nothing and he gives me everything, that's hased, the Hebrew word there. And so... You know, when I coached, coached Little League, I was always looking for those kids who didn't play well. When I was working at Columbia International University, they allowed me to eat there at lunch, and I'd look for the kid sitting by himself. And uh, when I've spoken at drug rehabs, the, you, know, you know, I left them with the thought of the Marines, leave no one behind. It's what bothers me about Christian ministry. We're always excited to work with that 30% that's at the top. Man, they're easy. Read this, we'll meet for lunch this week. We'll talk about it. That's easy. But to walk them through things to show that they're valuable, and then to learn to affirm them that God's got something for you, You've got one life, guys. At the end of that life, what are you going to say? I made a bunch of money. I did this. I did that. 
I broke 80 in my golf game. I don't know what the answer may be. I'm asking you now because the decision has to be made now. I spoke to a missionary recently who has a tremendous ministry, but he has a ministry in going to the field and coming home. And my, my, my ministry to him was this. Is there a possibility that God wants you to go there and stay there? He didn't like that. And I told him the same thing. It's because you have one life. How will you use it? You know. Will you be like some parents are? Santa Claus parents? Come in on big events? You know. We're having a birthday party that costs you a thousand bucks to put on. You know. Or are those kids just going to know by your touch, by your words, by your affirmation? Turn over just one page, if you don't mind, Deuteronomy chapter 6, just for a second. I'm not going to get through, but I'll, I'll move as quickly as I can. Everybody with me so far? Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first part was called bless. May I read you this? This is called the Shema of Israel. This, this, this chapter is. It starts in verse 7. It really starts in verse 6. You ought to read it all. But here's what he says. Hear, O Israel. That's called the Shema. The Lord your God is one. The Lord your God, <clears throat> excuse me, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now look at verse 7. Circle it if you're using your telephone. Highlight it with some lipstick or something. But here's what it says. Impress them on your children. How do you get an impression? Does this give you an impression? Not if you do it once. But if you do it day after day after day after day after day, you kind of get the opinion that, impression. So he says, how do you do that? Impress them on your children. And here's how you do it. Two things. Talk with them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on their foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If you go to Israel or you see any pictures of Israel, you'll see these Orthodox Jews. They have these little black squares on their forehead. And they come behind her head in time. It has a little lid on them. It's called a phylactery. And they, they actually took this to mean that he wants us to wear the scriptures on our forehead. And so, and so if you open that, it has these little rolled up pieces of scripture stuck in this little box. You ever seen one of those? Well, you look it up and you'll get a good laugh out of it. That's, that's what they took this to mean. What he is saying here is this. Mom and dad, you got one job. Make an impression. Make an impression. How am I going to do that? You're going to do it by talking. You know. I wrote in my notes here uh, the other night, the faith is caught, not taught. 
It, my dad was, was not a well-educated man, and, uh, but when I heard him talk about Jesus, I knew he had something that I didn't have. Because he talked to people, and he would say, I want to tell you about my Jesus. Yeah. And as he began to share the gospel, it was, boy, it was like, wow. You know. But the one thing I never got from my dad was this. I never asked him, how did you come to faith? Do our kids know that? Do we know how they came to faith? Do we know how they're doing in their faith? This week, this, the, the, I've been retired for three months. I've buried three teenagers during that time. I've buried three teenagers from Surfside Press during that time. Now, why do I tell you that? They all died of overdoses. And everywhere I go, I'm telling people this. The culture is coming after your kids. The culture is coming after your kids. First Peter, he writes and he says, the, the, uh, the devil is like a roaring lion looking who he can devour. My granddaughter, who I'm real fond of, she has a, a little stream in her backyard and and, uh, and her daddy was telling me about someone thought they'd spotted an alligator. So when she's out there, man, I'm out here like that. Come on, sucker, raise your head. You know. You'd do the same way if it was your child, but yet spiritually, they're defenseless if we haven't made this impression by talking. I have a great group of men that I meet with on Tuesdays that are, I've been meeting with them for nearly 20 years. And, and I'm still training them to do one thing, ask one question. And if they, I told them, if, if at the end of the year, if you can't answer this one of the questions, you're out of the group. Yeah. Why Jesus? Because in the beginning of this passage, what Moses says is, as you go into this land, you just left Egypt who had hundreds of gods. You're going to go into this land. And he said, I want your kids to know that there is one. There's one God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who has revealed himself through his son, Jesus. You know, if you don't teach them anything else other than that, it's that. Why, Daddy? Why is it going to be Jesus? I have adults ask me today in my church, you know, you're kind of a opinionated. And I go, well, I'm sorry. How do you, how do you get that? He said, you leave no room for anyone else but Jesus. And I went, yes, you're exactly right. Go tell everybody you know. And so we begin to... I love that he says, when you're walking, when you're talking, when you're watching a movie and here. And so, dads, here's what I'm saying to you as we, as we wrap this part up right here. Look what he says. He said, you are to impress them by talking. Tell them about your faith. Find out about their faith. Boy, that's hard to do. You may find out some things you don't want to know. Read at night. <coughs> Read at night. We gave nearly all of the men in our church who had new babies the, uh, a, 
a, a readable book to sit down with their kids. I tell dad sometimes, here's what I want you to do at night. We're just about finished. Don't lose me. So look right here. So we would, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into your bedroom at night with your son or daughter. Tell your wife she can't come. Won't she feel bad? Nah. And you sit down with your child and you open that whatever you're using and you read and show the pictures and then you get on your knees beside them and put your hands on them and bless them. Ah. And all of a sudden that kid begins to feel a touch, a word, an affirmation and knows that my dad, he, he, he really believes this Jesus stuff. These guys that I was telling you about, they're all grandpas that I meet with on Tuesday mornings. And I tell them, there's nothing greater than for a child to know that her papa or her pops or whatever you want to call your grandfather, that, man, he sold out to Christ. He's not wishy-washy on this. The last port and press is this. Lead. If in danger... I love this commercial they have out. This girl wants to go to a, a concert, and so she's at the concert, and right before she gets out of the car, her daddy hands her his phone. Have you seen that com- commercial? So she takes the phone inside the concert, and, uh, and, and the dad they shows him the parking lot's you know, totally empty, and he is sitting out here in the parking lot just waiting, and all of a sudden he gets a text. And she's got a picture of herself and her friends and going, thank you. Thank you. You see, see, he wasn't the type of dad who said no to everything. He said, well, how do we make this happen where you are protected? It is your job to protect them. I say this because one of my daughters is here, my wife is here. I would embarrass the fool out of them because we'd go to a movie, and if that movie felt uncomfortable with me sitting there with my daughters, I would turn to everybody and say, that's it, time out, we're gone. Oh, Dad, we we know all about this stuff. We don't need, no, but not sitting here with your daddy. Does that make sense? Bless, impress. And the last little thing I want you to hear. Have I got one more minute, Randy? Okay. Comes from Ephesians. Now, this is, is interesting. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Fathers, listen. Chapter 6, verse 4. Do not exasperate your children. Exasperate. I think Colossians says, goad them into anger. You know what goading means? It means to take an animal who's in a cage and you poke it with a stick to see if it'll react. Guys, and I I know, I grew up pretty much the same way. I I didn't fight my dad because I didn't want to, you know, you know. He told me one day to get him some cookies, and I said, get them yourself. And so we learned the answer to that real quick. So, you know, who would win that fight? It was him, you know. But if you have that old my way or the highway, you can look to see him take the highway. You know. 
You know, there's got to be a way to work in there out of those leaving after you have given the blessing and after you've given that impression that I will guarantee you when you say no, your children are going to understand. And so the Lord warns us two things in the New Testament. Do not, and I want you to hear them both as we close here. He says, fathers, guard your anger. If you're ever going to speak to men, you speak about anger or sex, and you'll hit both of them. Everything, that him, but anger is, you know, is a biggie for men. You know? And I understand it. You've worked all day. You're tired. You come home. You thought it was going to be, you know, pork chops and cream potatoes and, and black eyes. And, you know, it's not. Doesn't she know I worked all day? Sure she does. You want to switch with her and stay home all day with the child? No. I don't want any of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Family's tough. Anger's tough. The key to anger is the emotion. It isn't fair. And so figure out what isn't fair and begin to ask yourself, I love what Jesus told the, the older son. He said, it's not fair you killed a fatted calf when I was saving that for my party. And he said, isn't fair? All these years you've had me and all I have is yours? And you're arguing about a turkey or a calf? It's not unfair. He wants us to learn to guard our anger, to be able to say, I'm sorry. <coughs> The last little note I wrote to myself is love their moms. Love their moms. They're watching. They're watching very carefully. You know. If you're one way at church, I had a woman that come up to me at Surfside one day and she said, I wish my husband could live here. I said, why is that? She said, because he's a totally different person when he's at church. Love their moms. Love their moms. But let me tell you why. If you have daughters especially, because they're going to pick men who have the same characteristics as their dad. If you're abusive to your to your wife and she sees that, she'll believe that's part of the package. And ladies, I know I'm, I'm over time here, but this won't cost you anything extra. Uh, <laughs> the scriptures are real clear. And this is, I wish I had a whole hour to talk to you about this. If you are a real, real strong personality you have probably married a guy who's not a strong personality. Somehow in there, that's God's joke on on, on marriage. But But I want you to think through that. Back up, ladies. Become his cheerleader, not his critique. Become his greatest cheerleader. I was counseling a family recently. They had four boys and her husband, and she was all just telling me how all the bad, stupid things he does. And I asked her, I said, how many children do you have? She said, five. 
all boys. You know, and I went, oh boy. You know, I wonder how how do you think that guy feels? Think he wants to work more? Or you think he wants to come home? Why do you think happy hour explodes? Make your home a place that your husband and your kids want to come home to. Hey, thank you for letting me share. Lord Jesus, I ask you to bless my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I would ask you that you'd give us strength. Lord, our lives are so stinking busy that all we can do is keep up. Lord, so many of these are half my age. Lord, would you... Even today, though, that they begin to think, I'm, what am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do with my life? Is it going to be Christ-centered or is it going to be Sunday-centered? I pray for the leaders here that they, too, would understand the greatness of the leadership here. And would you bless them, bless them, bless this church. Bless this church. May those who are here stick to each other like glue. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.